Welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. We're your hosts, David O. And Eric V. Today we're joined by our very special guest, Jen. How are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, where are you from, Jen? I currently live in Dallas, Texas and have been for the last seven years or so. Nice. Where are you originally from? From the East Coast, right outside D.C., Northern Virginia. Oh, okay. Yeah, not too far from us. We're between D.C. and Baltimore. Excellent. Yes. Nice. And there's been 30 years of my life out that way. So. Awesome. Uh, so when were you first introduced to recovery? Well, uh, my my last sobriety date, I've had many of them. Uh, my mm. last sobriety date was uh, May 13th, 2018. Um, but it took me about 10 years to get sober. So I would say the idea of recovery started much longer than, than my actual journey um, into actual sobriety. Um, so, yeah, somewhere somewhere around about 12 years ago, I guess, I was introduced to sobriety, or to sobriety and the road to recovery. Awesome. And uh, how long have you been sober? So two, I just hit two and a half years. Very exciting. Fantastic. That's awesome. All right. Well, with all that out of the way, we're going to turn it over to you to share your story with us. So take it away. Excellent. Thank you so much. And like I said, thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. I appreciate you allowing me to share my story. I do believe that we get stronger as we share with others. So my story, uh, as I mentioned, I am from the East Coast, and uh, and I, it really began when I was about 12 years old, and, and I like to start my stories here because my addictions started very differently from where they ended up, but when I look back at my life and start piecing things together, I'm able to pinpoint where this began in my life. And when I was 12, I looked in the mirror, and I had heard the words of everyone else saying, you're too tall, you're a jolly green giant, you're too fat. And I internalized what they said to me. And just to paint a picture, just kind of, they're totally cruel. Um, and just to paint a picture, I'm six foot one now uh, and confidently wear heels. So I'm about six four on any given day. Absolutely love it. But at the time, kids want to look, yeah, thank you. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, kids want to be like every other kid. You want to look the same. You want to be the same. And I wasn't. And I remember when I was 12, seeing this boy in class, and I thought, man, he's so cute. And, of course, boys don't grow as quickly as girls do. And here I was towering over everyone. And I thought, he's not going to like me for being tall and fat. And I wasn't really fat. I was just, I, I carried some baby weight. I was a little chunky. But, um and I said, well, you know, I can get a handle on, on this weight thing. And there was, I, I thought of every way I could be shorter, you know, shave my bones, you know, just uh, so many ridiculous things I thought of. Um, and so I heard of this thing called an eating disorder and I started down that path. I said, okay, well, I can control my weight. So here we go. And I think it's important to acknowledge this as the beginning of my of my story because it's really when the disconnect started to happen with myself. You know, I, I grew up in a very happy home. I was a happy child. I had self-love. I I was gonna be a rock star one day. I remember telling my dad that and he was like, Okay. <laughs> and you know, you couldn't convince me that I was 
you know, awkward and wasn't going to be a rock star and all of this. But somehow by the time I was 12, I started to believe what the world was telling me. And I started to compare myself and internalize. And I went down this path of having an eating disorder and this, my, the disconnect started happening within myself. And so my teenage years, I went through and I really, um, you know, I learned to live a double life and, it was a behavior that I learned during my very transformational years. And I learned to show people what they wanted to see, which was, which was good grades, you know, singing in the choir, going to church, working out. What I didn't share was my bulimia and not being able to hold food down and all of the destruction that was happening. And after about five years, uh, I finally got a handle on my eating disorder. And what I didn't realize is that I had created the foundation within myself for triggering my reward system in my brain. And I went from one addiction into another, into another, into another. And before I knew it, I was in my mid-30s and I was a blackout alcoholic leading two lives the same way that I was when I was 12 years old, showing you only what you wanted to see. So my journey as I was going throughout, I didn't realize that all of this was happening. So I had gone from, I had gone from this eating disorder to, you know, I went off to college and, and of course everyone experiments with things and I was, you know, I smoked cigarettes and, you know, whatever. I thought I was just having a good time, but I always acknowledged that there was something different about my drinking. And I, you know, I always wanted more and more. And the amount that, that I would drink was was excessive in comparison. But, you know, I'm a big girl, right? I'm six foot one. I should be having more. It's like, you know, when I look at the ibuprofen bottle and it like suggests two, I'm like, well, for me, that's like four, right? And so why have two when you can do four and just knock out your headaches, right? And so I'm like, why have eight when you can have 16? I mean, I'm twice the size of all these people. And so I guess I kind of justified some of the quantity just based off of my size. Now, I'm, I, height and your alcohol consumption may have a, a small comparison in terms of what you metabolize maybe, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, um, you know, hundreds of pounds, um, you know, at best, I'm, you know, a buck 50, buck 60 these days and, and was probably less at that point. So, so, you know, but I, I, I looked at my drinking as just this what I was doing. Like I was partying, I was having a good time. I was enjoying my freshman year experience. I, you know, whatever my college years and, yeah, I mean, so what? Who doesn't fall off the bar from time to time? Or who doesn't, you know, just not remember or wake up by the toilet and all that? It was just like a college thing to do. Mm-hmm. But my college thing to do kept going. And and, and, I, and I will say, I don't, I don't know that that needs to be part of your college experience, but I just chalked it up to that. So yeah, of course. I don't, that has to be... Uh, part of everyone's but, um, so I went uh, you know I just went along in my life and and I I could tell that I wasn't a normal drinker because I would get verbal affirmation from from others um, whether that be friends of mine or man she drank a lot or 
you know, the waitress would keep coming around like, oh, did you just finish your drink? Or <laughs> didn't, I, didn't I just bring one out? You know, all yep. those little signs that maybe you're drinking too much, too fast. And, um, and I, I ended up moving to Italy when I graduated college and it was the land of wine and it was wine for like a euro, which is almost a dollar. So, Whoa. and so I was able to get really good wine for really cheap price. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it just, again, and, and I'm in my mind, I'm like, well, it's part of the experience, right? This is what Italians do. Italians yeah. drink wine and mm -hmm. I drink wine. When in and Rome. So, <laughs> when in Rome, exactly. Just do the, do the wine thing. Yep. And so, you know, I always had some kind of, excuse me, justification, whether it be my size or being in college or, you know, wanting, you know, being in Italy or whatever. It was, there was always something and and at some point I acknowledged that my behavior it, it was it was talk worthy in the sense that I, I did end up getting married at some point. My my husband would make a point to say, Do you remember what you did last night? And mm. you know, I would have friends and they would start to express concern and so I started to, to back off from this is something that I want to visibly show to people. Mm -hmm. And over the next decade or so, I really learned to retract myself and go back to that same behavior that I had learned when I was a child, which was to show you only what you wanted to see, because it wasn't just this college thing, or it wasn't just an Italy drink wine thing, but my behavior was so poor. Um, with, you know, I was sloppy. Oh my gosh. And I, I couldn't tell you how many people have had to carry me out of places or, mm. um, you know, put me to bed or whatever. And, and I'm, I'm no, I'm, I'm not real small. I'm real hard to get through a door frame just <laughs> for the record. I mean, it's, it, it's a lot. And so it was a lot to put on people. And yeah. So, you know, you start hearing this enough and you acknowledge that, okay, well, things aren't, you know, this isn't how other people are, but this is how I am. And, you know, there was an addiction that was inside of me and I, I wanted this, but I didn't want you to see it. I didn't want to be judged from this. Uh -huh. And so just like I had done before, I, I poured myself into all of the things that you would want to see. And I had a very successful corporate career. I even found myself in Afghanistan with a top secret clearance and I was uh, contracted with the Department of Defense. I contracted with Department of State. I worked down at Maine State in Washington, D.C. Um, I, I was building that resume out. I yeah. climbed the corporate ladder. My, my last job that I had, I reported into the Chief Information Officer. That is the highest spot in, right before you, you get to um, the, the CIO that's part of the, the C-suite and I reported directly into him. So, wow. um, which is predominantly a male dominated industry. And uh -huh. I was always one of the only women for about 15 years in my field. And I was very proud of that. I was proud of the things that I could show you on paper and just as addicted to alcohol as I was on the outside of work, I was addicted to putting things on my resume and climbing that ladder. Mm -hmm. And I had, you know, it was, it's funny, back in 2014, I went to, um, I went to this 
this group, this eating disorder group Uh here in Dallas, Texas. And I started crying to them. I said, I have no idea why. This is literally almost verbatim what I said. I said, I don't know why I'm here. But when I look back at all my problems, this is where they started. And I was doing the exact same things that I was doing then, which is, you know, showing that I was really good in school and and doing, you know, the choir and all of those things. And yet I had this destructive life. And now here I was, I'm climbing the corporate ladder and I've Uh got this great resume and I'm, you know, I have a house and I'm doing the things and yet I have all this destruction and I hate myself. And it was the same thing. And I'm like, decades later, like, how am I here? And... And it was, it was even still, it took me another four years to get sober after I went and had that breakdown in front of a room full of strangers. But thank goodness for support groups. Man, they're amazing. And, mm-hmm. and they're, they're just, they're so um, empathetic on so many levels, you know, being able to, to, to look at other people and, and talk with them and hear from them. Mm-hmm. You know, people that have, have gone through a similar journey or understand. Um, and so... So for me, I mean, you know, I, my life, when we talk about unmanageability, I would say that I, I had the epitome of, of, uh, at least for me anyway, it was of unmanageability. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I could be like a poster child for it because here I was trying to hold it together. I mean, I was leading global teams, traveling globally, you know, doing this thing, and yet, I was in and out of jails. I was in and out of hospitals and literally going right into the office. Mm -hmm. Um, True story. I was practicing for a speech, practicing a speech for the CEO while I was in jail, managed to get out, get my truck, get home. I don't even remember if I showered, but I made it into the office. And so, I mean, like, like most people, they're like, so what'd you do last night? You're like, oh, you know, I watched a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jen's like, I don't know. I went, I went, I got arrested. I woke up in jail. I'm practicing my speech. And, um, you know, I started working out. So the guards was, could see me and think, oh, okay, she's sober. Get her out of here. You know what I mean? Like, this was my life. Like, that's completely unmanageable. And, and I would still make it to work. And I was still managing teams. And I was still... You know, I mean, just crazy, crazy kind mm-hmm. of function. And I, 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 it got to a point in my life, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. And I was fighting so hard to protect this life that I hated so much. It was never that I thought, oh, I love drinking. I love, you know, being embarrassed from time to time when people get a glimpse into my life. Or I'm, I love when people have to carry me out of a place and I have to lie about not eating that day or whatever. Whatever mm-hmm. lie I would make up justify my behavior. Or, yeah. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that I loved any of that. And yet I fought so hard because I just couldn't break free. And I and I was in and out of, you know, I would try to go to groups or I would try, I tried everything. I tried mm-hmm. neuro-linguistic programming or acupuncture and um, Chinese herbs and hypnosis and like all of these things. I wanted a quick fix, like just fix me. Can I throw some money at this and just be done with it and move on with my life? Yeah. Right? Um, and although the... That approach sounds great. Um, it would be nice if it was that easy, but it's not. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was that I kept 
going after the wrong problem the entire time. You see, I thought my problem was drinking. And if I could only stop drinking, mm-hmm. then I would be happy and my life would be good. And that really, that wasn't what it was at all. And my, my aha moment came May 13th, 2018. And again, for a decade, I tried everything. I, I don't know how much money I threw at, you know, trying to get sober and how many different groups I went to. And again, I, and I, I want to be really clear that I'm not knocking on anything that I tried. Yeah. But I, but I, I but I will point out the, the fundamental difference of why my approach was wrong. And so, so let me, let me back up to my aha moment. I, I wanted to date, you know, I'm here I am in my mid thirties and you know, there's, I saw my sister and she's married. I was married too. I got divorced. That so didn't last that long. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I saw my sister. She was married and um, I knew she was going to be starting a family. And, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in my mid 30s. And at some point, especially for women, um, you know, we realize they have a biological clock and if mm-hmm. we want to have a family, you know, we, we need to be aware at least of that clock and and start to think about someone in my life and and all that so I had tried dating in the past and I was very unsuccessful and and what I learned through my journey of recovery was was that you um you know if I don't value myself why would anyone else value me and so I kept finding people and I was just finding like the douchebags of the douchebags and Mm -hmm. like I I went to work Again, this goes along with unmanageability. I went to work and I, I, you know, I dated this one gentleman and he preferred me to drink because he was a narcissist and he had uh, power over me. And, you know, I lived in this situation and it was, um, and he he beat me. I went to work with black eyes and Mm. bruises all over my body. And Mm. I would explain to people, I would just joke it off and say that it was boxing because I like to box. Mm -hmm. I didn't wear my helmet and yada, yada. You know, all lies, right? But here I am trying to just have a a life, just a normal life. And I I, I can't, (laughs) it's just, it's, it's, riddled with lies I mean it was it was terrible yeah and so I didn't I didn't date a whole lot because I this was the kind of crap I kept running into and I'm like well it's better me being alone but then you get in your head and you're like I'm alone right it was sort of this catch-22 like I want to be with someone but then when I'm with someone it's a disaster but then when I'm alone I'm like I'm alone you know and and it was mm-hmm. like a circle that oh, kept yeah. going round and round and and so um so I finally decided, I'm like, this is 2008, early 2018. I'm like, okay, look, then something has to change as a guy that you're going after, right? Like, clearly you're you're not doing well. So you've got to find a different kind of guy. So change the standard, you know? Because I would look at guys on, on these dating apps and I'd be like, oh, you're a doctor, swipe left. Nope, because you're too good for me, right? And mm. you're a lawyer, swipe left. Oh, you're a police officer? Hell no. Like, yeah. Definitely left. Lawyer, no way. Like and, and and the reason I did that is because I didn't I thought that I carried all this baggage, right? I first you know, I didn't want them to see my, my addiction and but you know, I thought I carried around all this baggage and I I wasn't gonna be, you know, good enough for them and, and I truly believe that about myself. But 
Um, but I, I found this gentleman and I, and he didn't drink and he just seemed to be this kind of fun and, you know, puppy kind of guy. And so anyway, we started dating and again, I was in this, let me just find this quick fix to my, my happiness, stop mm-hmm. drinking. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to find a guy and then I'm going to be happy and I'm going to stop drinking. And that's how it's going to work. And this was the lowest point in my life and I had nothing to do with this gentleman. I just was, I just was broken. I was so broken and I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't stop the drinking as much as I, you know, I may get like a day or two sober, but I, I couldn't stop it. And, um, and I was just, I was so miserable and he was, he was such a good human being. And May 13th, 2018, we sat down on my couch and we sat down and we had the talk and I was ready, you know, because before when, when people would approach me, like, you know, my ex-husband, like, do you remember what you did last night? Or, you know, cops would be like, Hey, come with me. Right. Like it was never a pleasant experience. It was never like, yeah, the the, the talk (laughs) is rarely a good thing. Yeah, it's, it's always like, all right, let's put you in handcuffs yeah. or, yeah. you know, it's like you're, or whatever. So so I was ready to, like, have the talk, and so my guard went up, and then he said the seven words that changed the course of my entire life. So here I've been battling addictions for 20-plus years. I tried to get sober from alcohol for for a decade, and it was these seven words that changed my life. He said, Jen you need to learn to love yourself. And it was as simple as that. Mm. And I, I sat there on my couch and I, and I like froze in the moment. And I looked, I, I saw all these visions. I mean, so many things started flooding my head. Cause I was just like, I was prepared for war and yet I was given a hug, you know? And I was yeah. like, what? I just wasn't like ready for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was ready to, to, to combat, you know, not, um, feel the warmth and the, the love and the hug. And, and so I saw that child again who was so excited about her life. I was, I was going to be a rock star. I mean, I used to, I used to run downstairs as a child. We had a basement in Virginia and I would run downstairs and I would sing with a terrible voice because I was convinced somebody was in my parents' basement and they were going to steal me, send me to Hollywood for my voice. Like, uh-huh. And, and it was like not not it was like a you know somebody was going to steal me not like promote me but anyway it was my my five six year old childhood brain mm-hmm. but my point is I had so much self confidence I thought somebody was like weeding in my parents basement to steal me because I had such a bomb diggity voice right mm-hmm. and, and I it didn't matter that I had like awkward teeth I had these tiny little teeth and big gums and like thick <laughs> thighs like none of that mattered like and I saw this child who just was so confident and full of self love and you know thought so much was going to be in store for her and I, I was sad because I disappointed her and then I saw this older version of me and I was still lonely and I was you know I was alone and and I was still battling with this thing that I was trying to fight so hard to keep hidden Mm-hmm. And I just, I was like, I'm done. I am done. And I, I told him that I commit to him, I commit to us, and I commit, for, you know, first and foremost to myself that I will learn to love myself. And and I just said, God, I'm done. Like, take the wheel. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was... That was the moment. Now, I, I will say this gentleman and I did not, did not last. Um, for more than like a week or two, but um, 
I, I turned my addiction because I am an addict through and through, and I mm-hmm. have to understand how to navigate myself. Um, and I have to be careful when I drink coffee. Like I have to be careful if I drink gum or eat, you know, chew gum, mm-hmm. like, anything that has, you know, soda, anything that has like an addictive component to it, um, or just any of my behaviors, I, I have to be because I can take anything good and turn it into like an obsession. Yeah. Um, but it can be channeled into something really good and amazing if you learn how to channel it right. And so that's why I had gotten into boxing and because I just had energy. I didn't know what to do with it. And, and so I became addicted to myself. Um, and I told myself on that day that I was going to, to spend the next year just focused on myself and nothing else. And I wasn't going to have any major changes. I didn't want to have a big change in a job or move around or do anything um, if, if, if I had the control over it and that I was just really going to focus on, on my wellness. And so all of those things that I had mentioned before that I tried, the thing that I had missed the entire time was me. And so my drinking, although is a problem, is was a problem um it wasn't the problem mm-hmm. it was actually a symptom and i was the problem and so i i started going through and trying all of these different things and and i actually um i realized after about seven months that what i was doing was working i mean i it i i had no compulsion for a drink i mm-hmm. Um, I was happy. I was happy for the first time and I felt weightless, you know, and it wasn't just a pink cloud, but I had worked in my mind all of these things like getting rid of my anger mm. and learning about negativity and um, getting rid of it and, and how to put standards and boundaries in my life to, to protect myself and how to really strengthen my mind. And I, I felt weightless and I realized at some point that I was kind of like working a program, if you will. And, Uh um, and so I, I actually, on my one year sobriety date, I, I had told myself at about seven or eight months when I started thinking about what was actually happening in my life and how it worked for me, it worked for others. And so I, um, I wrote a book about it and I started it on my one year sobriety date because I, I needed my brain to settle. Um, because, you know, there's a, there's a lot that we go through as, as we get sober. Um, and it's, you know, the, your, your brain is remapping itself. And, mm-hmm. and I had cigarettes and alcohol that I had pulled out of my head and pulled out of my, my brain. And I, I think of like roots coming out of the ground and then how the ground has to like, you know, figure out its new path and yeah. grow and everything. And so, so it, it was about four months of, of just a lot of, foggy, foggy, foggy happening in my life. And, um, and then I, I, you know, at, at some point things in my memory was terrible. Oh gosh. Like it, it was really terrible, but, mm-hmm. um, so I needed a full year before I started writing. So, so that's how I came up with my five step reset plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I, I live in brief by that. So, so that's, that's sort of, um, kind of a high level where, where that's, my my story um and since then i have taken a new direction in life and although it was great to climb the corporate ladder and i'm really mm-hmm. glad that i spent years in corporate doing what i was doing but i now help others 
Um, my book, the tagline of my book is five steps to reclaim the life you thought you lost and learn to love yourself. So that's, that's really what I, what my focus is now is, is helping others that have lost themselves along the way. Um, and I do one-on-one coaching and I have an on, I have a program, um, that just went live. It's online. Um, so people can go do that themselves as well. So awesome. yeah, it's been an amazing, it's been an amazing journey. I wouldn't change any of it. It was, um, absolutely a disaster <laughs> along the way with a lot of scraped knees. Mm. Um, but you know, one of the most important lessons that I learned was about failure and that, um, I made the decision one day that I'm no longer going to fail and everything in my life is, is growth, a life lesson or a course correction. And so, um, you know, I no longer look at these guys on dating apps and say, you're too good for me. Right. Because I, I, hold these things and they, these things don't hold on to me and I carry them around like dead weight. Uh-huh. I've been able to see myself of things and say, wow, this is how, uh, this was able to, to make me stronger or this was, you know, not the path I was supposed to be on. So it changed my path and now it's mm. more beautiful. And so, um, so yeah, a lot of incredible things have come out of this life of this disaster of a life that I, that I led for, a couple of decades, but it's absolutely beautiful now. So, yeah, that's a kind of awesome. Awesome. I, yeah, my life. I definitely mm-hmm. have a whole bunch of questions. I hope Eric does too. Um, so, I'm going to start with a fun question. So, you said you were a rock star or <laughs> wanted to be a rock star. Yeah. So, who was your rock yeah. star idol as like when you were younger? Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, probably. New Kids on the Block. New Is Kids on the Block. Me? Wow. Yeah, okay. I'm wait, super, wait. super love them. Who, who from New Kids, though? It's got to be Donnie oh Wahlberg. Was it has to be Donnie. Don, what? Yeah, it's got to be Donnie Wahlberg, dude. No, no. Who else are you going to go with? Um, what, Jordan, right? Who's? Uh, I don't know. And then there's, I'll be honest. The only one I know is Donnie. Is it JC or is it? No, JC was in is the Backstreet Boys. S- no, Sync. Oh yeah, you're right. In sync, I don't know. Sorry, I, I don't I, know. I, I really don't. I'm not up to par with my. I don't know. It could have been anybody. It could have been know. Pat Benatar. It could have been Madonna or say, I maybe Blondie. I think Blondie is a pretty oh, good one. Blondie's yeah, fantastic. Madonna. Mm-hmm. Heart. I like um. Heart. Do you really want to love me? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, but we used to dance there all the time. But oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that that was going to be my uh, my life journey. And you know what? I'm not done yet. So who knows? No, exactly. <laughs> there, that number one hit could be lurking. Who who's yours, Eric? Who was your rock star idol? Elliot Smith. Yeah, it's. Okay. I mean, it's you, pretty easy. I think you've known that yeah, for a long easy. time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's fair. I'm actually wearing a T-shirt of mine. Joey McIntyre and Jordan Knight. Okay. That's, Jordan Knight. That's, oh, yeah. Right. Joey McIntyre. Yeah. He was like the young oh, one. Yeah. I actually watched like. And um, then he became like a, a reality TV star in like the early 2000s. No, oh, I do not he, know. he had like a comeback. You would know better than me, David. I don't know. I watched. I used to watch trash television. Okay, Bash, uh, to to my next question. So, with uh, your book Reset, it talks about those five steps. Can I ask for a spoiler in what those five steps are? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a methodology of 
uh, first really getting into the brain and making sure that we've got the solid foundation. Um, talk about things like choice and control and failure, victimization, and we get our minds really, really tuned because if we have the right perception, right, we can have a beautiful reality. So it's all in the yeah. mind. So we spend we spend time doing mindset work uh, just to create that foundation. And we start, so that's in the recognized phase. E is to eliminate. The first E is eliminate. And we start to eliminate things in the life that, that don't serve you. Mm-hmm. And that could be people, places, things, ideologies. And um, anger is a big one. And so all of these things from our past or... Um, you know what what is dragging us down so we bring um clarity to those areas so first it's the mindset and then it's removing things that don't need to be in our life and then we move into um, structure and this is where we start to look at standards and boundaries and what do we want to fill our space with now that we've emptied it out of things that that don't um, support us or that don't promote growth um, what is it that we do want to put in our life and how do we protect ourselves? And that's through boundaries, um, which I wrote my second book on, on boundaries, which was, which was pretty, um, pretty neat. I thought boundaries was pretty narrow topic, but it's a massive topic. Oh, yes. I came to find out. So, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so then structuring our lives and then we move into the fourth step, which is elevate. And that's learning to live in an elevated state, finding purpose, living in gratitude, learning to be present. Um, and then finally, the last T or the T is for transformation. Mm-hmm. And that's about how you make what we've learned into um, a lifestyle. And because, you know, I, I think of my, you know, physics class when I was in, you know, whatever, high school or calculus or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just learned all these things. And then I took the test and I was like, done, brain dump. And that's not what, that's not how we need to treat our ourselves and our, our life and our mindset and how we how we approach life it needs to be a lifestyle and um, and so it's it's that's what the t is for so recognize eliminate structure elevate and transform those are the five steps fantastic love it mm-hmm. all right eric all right so jen i'm on your um website right now and i was curious could you talk a little bit about the uh power of choice mm-hmm yeah, absolutely. So the power of choice, uh, I actually just had a podcast on that. Um, so I think for so many of us, and this is what we talk about in, in uh, Recognize, is that we actually have the power to choose, right? We can choose to look at something positively or negatively. Absolutely. We can look at the glass. I know this is cliche, but it's true. Is the glass half full or is it half empty? You can choose to look at something positively or negatively, optimistically or negatively. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything, everything is a choice. If you think about a puddle, you could walk by that puddle and you'd be like, ah, that dang puddle, right? Where you stepped and that got your shoe a little wet. Yeah, of course. Or you can look at that, or you can look at that puddle and maybe it shows you the clouds in the sky and you say, wow, that's an amazing puddle. I'm so glad that I just, you know, got a glimpse of the sky because I've just been looking down at my phone and mm-hmm. didn't even know that the sun was shining, right? Yeah. These are perceptions. They're our reality. And so the reality is that, oh, shoot, you know, my shoe is wet or it's, oh, wow, the sun is shining. It's, it's too totally same experiences but it's different on, on how you look at them yeah. but when we don't realize that we have a choice and a lot of times 
our, our brains just naturally go to the dark side. They go to a negative place because they've been conditioned that way. That's how my brain was. And it was, you know, I mean, it, even, even into work, you know, I remember there were times, you know, I was like, Hey Jen, can you stop by the office? And I'm like, oh, am I in trouble? You know, like, mm-hmm. why do you think that? Why, you know, when I go into like my boss's office and it was nothing bad, why, why did I go through that? negativity that you know that that narrative in my head of oh my gosh I'm about to get laid off right or whatever and it had nothing to do with that but um but our brains just naturally go there and so that's why as as part of recognize and the, the reset plan is getting strong into our foundation and if we acknowledge that we have choice that's power yeah so you know what I don't want to look at this I I this this is so silly, but when I lived, I lived in Italy for a couple of years and, um, I, they're such romantic. I love them. Um, just the way they look at life. It's just, everything is like, Oh, that's amazing. Or they just make up stories like Da Vinci sat mm-hmm. on that tree and you're like, oh, that's a lie. but anyway, so there's like a, a lot of dog poop on the street and they're like, Oh, you stepped in dog poop. Make a wish, like that's good luck, you know. And how many of us are like, dang it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what? Make a wish, you know. And and so for them, that's their reality. Is when they step in dog poop, which who likes to step in dog poop? You're like, that's kind of gross, right? But mm-hmm. they're like, make a wish. So they get a wish out of it. We we get a headache, right? They get a wish, and it's all perception. And so that's wow. power is when you realize that you own your perception when you have that choice and when you find yourself in a state of suffering which is anything other than peace and you know happiness and joy if you're in anything else that's a choice that you make Mm. it's acknowledging that you own that like it's so extremely powerful. Um, so, yeah, I, I talk about that in one of my podcasts as well. So, uh, there's a little thirty minute bit on that. But, but yeah, yeah. Does that does that help? Bring yeah. some clarity there. Yeah, that was yeah, fantastic. And it actually kind of illuminated something for me because I didn't know that about the Italians. How you step step in dog poop and you you get a wish. They must be the ones behind a bird shitting on your head being good luck. They have to be. I was at. I was at the the pool a few months ago and I, I had a bird poop on my head and I, my friends already think I'm a little high pie in the sky anyway. And I was like, is there poop on my head? And I'm like, yeah. Like, oh, I'm making a wish. And they're like, you're nuts, Jen. I'm like, whatever. I'm happy. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, I don't know why that's a good luck, but yeah, I, I, I guess it is a power of choice type of perception thing. I'm, uh-huh. I'm, I'm just not there yet. I'm still focused on the bird shit on my head. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, some of us are sicker than others. It's okay. Uh, hmm. What am I going to go to? Um, all right. So I, I think like a real common thread um, with a lot of addicts um, and not, and not just drugs and alcohol, because like you definitely touched about, touched on it with, um, um, eating disorders and just sort of um, body image and a lot of that. Um, What is so pivotal about the early preteen years and and like our teenage years that have such an impact on our future addiction? Because it's such a common thread in so many stories that like those those years are just like so tumultuous for for 
X number of reasons. So I just wanted to hear your opinion on it. You know, I think that's when we're just trying to figure out our identity, right? And, mm-hmm. and there's this idea in society that we all need to be the same. And mm. one of my, uh, I've, I've trademarked this word, uh, unique them, and it's stepping into your unique space, mm-hmm. like your unique kingdom. And if I could tell myself when I was younger about how amazing it is to step into your unique them, um, you know, I, I like, it's the most incredible thing. I walk into a room and you don't, it's not like, I don't know, is Jen here or not? Like you just look up, like there I am. And Mm -hmm. even if there's a tall crowd, you still are going to notice me. It's just, it's just how it is. And I've come to accept that. Yeah. But when we're younger, you know, we want to look like everyone else. And, and, you know, that's, that's when our, our brain pathways are developing and we're learning and, and we start to take in all of these senses. And, and it's not like life comes with this book, right? Like this is, this is your mindset book for life, right? Like we don't have it. We're no. listening to our friends who are no. blind leading the blind and we're comparing ourselves yeah. and these poor kids today have social media at their fingertips and they're like, Oof. I don't look like Kim Kardashian. That sucks. You know? And you're like, no, it's maybe it's a good thing. Just be you. Right. Uh-huh. But, um, but we don't, so when you're a kid, it's about being normal. How do you go unseen? And, and it's, you're, you're being influenced by all of these different things. And I think, you know, if I could just go back and tell myself one thing, it's just accept and love who you are because you are perfectly and wonderfully made. And I, I didn't get that. And I fought it. And, um, and I've, it's become my, my most unique and best asset is just to be me. And if we could, if we could teach this younger generation you know, or any younger generation, just be who you are and accept that. So I just think we're, we're, um, you know, we're, we're, we're filling our, our, an empty shelf. It's like building a library while you're a kid and, and mm. you look around and there's a lot of comparison oh, and yeah. you're just trying to figure it all out. And you're not given, I mean, you have your parents and you have all that, but you spend a lot of time with, with your friends and it's maybe who you're hanging out with and what they're into or something they've heard or, you yeah. know, kids are mean. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. being in a corner and somebody being like, you're too fat or, I mean, everybody, I mean, even today people are like, oh, you're so tall. I mean, they don't call me Jolly Green Giant anymore or anything like that. But, yeah. um, you know, I remember those things and oh, hell yeah. when people come yeah, now, I mean, my perception is completely different of my height, right? I mean, then, and again, this goes back to perception. It goes back to choice, right? I have a choice on how I look at these things. Like mm-hmm. people used to say to me, then, you know, make comments about my height, and I interpreted them as negatively. I'm like, oh, wah, wah, right? But yep. now I'm like, oh, it's great. It's amazing. So let me enlighten you why I wear heels <laughs> because they're sexy. And, you know, or, mm-hmm. and I just learned that people just say things, right? And sometimes people, they don't, they don't mean neg- to be negative about it, right? But it's our interpretation of it. And so yeah. um, someone told me one time, they're like, wow, you're really feminine. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I didn't know what to do with that comment. I was just like, oh, okay, cool. And they're like, yeah, because most tall girls look like drag queens. And I was like, what? Wow. I was like, uh, or models, it's fine, whatever. You know? Like, yeah. <laughs> I just kind of scratched my head on that comment, but no. this is a woman I worked with, and she wasn't trying to be mean, but I realized, like, people just sometimes don't think about it. They don't no. think before they speak. But, but so the way that I, I look at myself now is, 
I, you know, my height is, is a way for people to talk to me. I've had so many conversations with people that I never would have had otherwise. And sometimes people don't know what to say to me. So they're like, uh, uh, you're tall. Do you like being tall? You know, yeah. How's <laughs> the air up there? Like, <laughs> right. And so, and it's, and it's sort of their like way to relate, even though I'm like, yeah, it's oh. an icebreaker. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, okay, it's fine. Whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's all personal. But we don't have that as a kid. I mean, we're just trying to figure it out. I just, there's so many times I wish I could go back and, and change, you know, our, our education system. And I don't know, educate on things that are going to help kids. Like, yeah. is calculus helpful or should we be talking yeah. about finance? Or yeah. Like, let's let's talk I mean? about how to pay your taxes. Let's talk about how to, what a credit score really is. Yeah. yeah. Like, putting a solid mindset in place and, yeah. and things like that. So I think it was a really long answer to your question, but did that, did that, I mean, that's, Oh, it, it, I mean, it's, it, it was a very loaded question. Like, it, it's such a big opinionated question that it, yeah. it deserved a long answer. Like, if you were just like, you know, it's just, hey, man, we're idiots when we're teens. Like, that would have been a shitty answer. <laughs> no, it was a fantastic <laughs> answer. And like to touch on it a little bit from a from a shorter person's perspective, I'm I'm five nine, so I'm I'm right I'm like mm-hmm. right around average. But as I was growing up, like, yeah, well, I I had a ton of friends who were six one, blah blah blah, like all the tall kids. And I think Eric will probably agree. Well, maybe not. Probably not Eric. But did you did you ever have like tall person jealousy? Did you like want to be taller? Were you jealous of the taller kids? I was. Um, I I mean, I guess yeah. Jealous. I mean, not like severely, but like man, like even now, I'm like man, I wish I was six feet tall. I guess the, I wish I was three inches taller. The That'd be fucking awesome. The perception that I've come to understand is that, or that I try to remind myself, and it's going to sound super cocky. And super fucking ridiculous. I would expect nothing less of you. But it helps when it's like with the height thing is, you know, if I was taller, like it just wouldn't even be fair. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. My wife who's short as shit. She said her, her rationalization. She was like, I just reach perfection earlier than other people. And I was like, oh, that's. That's a solid That's answer. A good one too. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And my one friend who's super tall, they were like, yeah, well, I get to, I get the sunshine first and I get to cast a shadow. I was like, Ooh, sick burn. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah, some good ones out there for, for, for all the short and tall people, big, uh, big and thin, like you're, you're great the way you are. And they're fantastic. Uh, stuff about you if we could like, only teach kids uh i oh, mean yeah. it would just be so empowering just hey just be you like i literally i mean i'm especially as i grow my business and i and i do all these things i mean i have two things going for me you know i mean i'm six one and my last name is sugarmeyer it's like boom boom you know if uh-huh. i if, if i was like five five and my last name was smith right not knocking on smith just very common last name yeah you know I mean, people might still remember me, right? I mean, I hope from from what I talk about and, and, you know, what I believe in and yada, 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 that all stands for itself. But people might not remember my first name, but they'll be like, that tall girl, yeah, I remember her. Yeah. Sugar something. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, got it. So, I mean, it's so good to have something that that makes you unique and stand out. And and, um, anyway, I I could go on and on about that. But yeah. Yeah, there's something about being, you know, I was thinking about it the other day, you know, or, you know, there's that show, like, are you smarter than a fifth grader? I don't even mm-hmm. know if it's still on TV anymore. I've yeah. watched TV since things went off the air in 2002. But anyway, um, 
But I was like, are we smarter than a five-year-old? Like, five-year-olds got it. You know what I mean? They're like, I love myself. And they're like, I'm hungry. Like, I'm hungry. And they like speak up for themselves. I'm mad at you because you stole my pen. Like, they communicate. They are on it. Like, they're like, I need to take a nap right now exactly (laughs) and and i i think that's kind of why we as adults like we can say like oh kids are cruel and it's like they're they're not most of the time they're not malicious they just haven't been built up and indoctrinated with a lot of quote-unquote like social um like paradigms you know what i mean like you're like oh you're not supposed to say that they're just they're just such a raw human being that like yes they like what they can say can can be construed as really mean but then also like a a five-year-old or like a a young kid can also say just the sweetest things ever they're they're just like your hair looks like a mermaid and you're like oh my god thank you that's amazing um so it, 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 it yeah it's just about like they're they're just such raw individuals and they, and they just haven't been uh taught or jaded with like social uh, uh norms so it's just like oh they're tall don't don't say that they're short don't I say think that they're spot on about so many things so you they know are. i mean yeah when you get one of the rough edges you're just like, yeah, that confidence, that mm-hmm. like, ability to just communicate as it is. Like, oh, yeah. how many times in life are we like, like, I talk to people, I, like, I, I won't steer ourselves too far, of course. But, you know, women, I, I hear this a lot from women. I'm sure men do it too. But they're like, you know, when they're like, mm, my boyfriend didn't get me what I wanted for my birthday or he didn't throw me a party. I really wanted a party. I'm like, did you tell him? Mm-hmm. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> I shouldn't have to. Yeah. You're like, oh, right? But like, mm-hmm. kids are like, yes, I want a dinosaur party and I want all of my friends and we're all going to have magic lollipops. You know what I mean? My kids are like, this is it. This is, I'm going to be specific. You yeah. Need to learn a lot. Okay. Five-year-old. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing how childish adults can be. All right, Eric. Sorry. We di- we digressed very far down my rabbit hole. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. Um, but I, I do want to touch on the eating disorders. Um, mm-hmm. So at one point in my life, or a few points, I guess, in my life, um, I struggled with eating disorders. And I was curious, you know, how did you go about building a healthy relationship as well as perception around food? Um, and not to get too heavy into the other part of it, because we've talked about it a lot already, but food in relationship to body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, that's a a really good question. You know, I've learned that I have to have a balance in my life and that balance is with exercise. And if I can get that serotonin going, then, um, then I, I feel better about myself, which puts me in a better relationship with food. Um, and so it, it, it goes back to, cause I mentioned, I mean, I'm just an addict through and through. I really have to be aware of a lot of different things. And so I, you know, I had a CEO one time ask me like, what's the best thing I ever started to implement in my life? And I said, self-reflection. And I, I truly believe that. And I, mm. and we need to be very aware of our, of ourselves, I think on a lot of levels at all times. And so if I am going to sit down and eat, a whole bunch of cake, which I love. Like I love the corner piece with all the frosting kind of stuff. Hell yeah! If I, if I, if I yeah, that's like um, 
that's my Achilles heel right there. Mm-hmm. But if I eat like four or five pieces of the corner, right? Let's say four corners, like mm-hmm. you know, um, that's not going to put me in a really good headspace. Like I'm not going to feel good about myself. I'm going to put too much sugar in my body. I'm, you know, and so I know for me that that's a trigger. But mm-hmm. if I have one, and I learned this word called moderation, which is my least favorite word in the entire dictionary, but oh, it's yeah. actually something we all need <laughs> to subscribe to. I just mm-hmm. really struggle with it. I hate it. But um, yeah, so I, I think if, if we're aware of our triggers, um, you know, that that's where you know, when we, when we understand what our strengths and our weaknesses are and what we're dealing with, then we're able to put the, the healthy boundaries in place in our life. Um, and so I know for me, I have this compulsion to, to want to eat in excess and I want all of the things that, you know, you should eat in moderation and I want them in excess quantities. And so, and I know that that's not healthy for me on a lot of different levels. Um, you know, it, 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 kills a lot of people we can start there it's one of those deadly diseases that's out there um Mm -hmm. i can't go on and on so i guess acknowledging that that there's that there's the issue and understanding what my my you know strengths and weaknesses are um and like i'm stronger when i work out my brain is stronger i feel it i'm like i feel good about myself Mm -hmm. and so that's now a boundary that i have put in my life that's a standard you know, I will work out. I will do some type of physical activity because it makes me feel good. And mm-hmm. I can have um, a piece of cake, but I can't do it all the time because if I do, that puts me into a negative state. And so I know that that's a weakness of mine. Plus, it's probably not healthy to eat the cake diet. Um, yeah. I don't think that's a diet. Eat all cake. It's um, somebody's diet. Yeah. <laughs> right i mean i think if i was going to choose a diet it would be that one because <laughs> i really like cake oh, hell yeah. um, but yeah so i mean i think it's, it's just really that acknowledgement of where where are you at and what are your your strengths and your weaknesses and and building i mean you can build that healthy relationship with food just based off understanding who you are as a person and i i know like i i did um fitness competitions for a little bit and it was something that I did in order just to I, I had this huge fear of being in a bikini in front of anyone and, and so I did these fitness competitions not that I didn't I wasn't in the bikini class I was in the fitness class and I remember standing with five inch heels you can do the math I was six six it was Ooh. terrifying standing in front of the stage being judged like oh my gosh what about the worst nightmare ever for mm. somebody with a body in it Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was something that like I wanted to push myself to do yeah. it's like they're like okay if you want to get over your, your yeah, it's height, exposure therapy yeah and so so I did that but then I had to realize that um, I've made the decision I, I did a couple of competitions and I said you know what this isn't something that I want to keep up because mm-hmm. it became so hard for me um, to mentally wrap my head around gaining a pound or two, I'm like, oh, I feel fluffy. And the reality is I had like 9% body fat, you know? And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so let's just get to a normal state, right? Yeah. And we need to stay connected with ourselves and be honest. Have that, again, that five-year-old honest conversation with ourselves. Like, how are we feeling today, Timmy? Like, I feel crappy. Why? Okay. And then you build your build your life around it. So, Absolutely. Again, another one 
but uh, you know, I'm really known for short answers. But, um, you know, but getting in your head, learning self-reflection and your strengths and weaknesses and then being able to, you know, it's sort of a flow that goes, right? It's this whole process and setting up those boundaries. You can develop a healthy relationship with food. I can eat cake. I can eat whatever I want, but that's mm-hmm. because I eat rich food 80% of the time. That's my boundary that I have with food. So. Yeah. Alright. Awesome. Um, Alright, so final question. Uh, it's kind of a two-parter. Um, so you, you 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 talked about like um, like your books and the reset model and all that, but um, you didn't uh, you didn't really touch on like any specific um, fellowship or anything like that. So what, have there been like specific recovery tools or models that you have used to help you in your journey? And um, how important do you think it is for the individual? to uh, really find their own recovery path? I think everyone um, has, it's like a diet. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no one size fits all. Absolutely. um, And so now I I will say, I believe that my reset plan can, can work, you know, for probably just about anybody. Right. But, Mm -hmm. um, but there are flavors of it. And so, you know, I, I do, I, I will go in and out of AA or I'll, you know, fellowship with a group Mm -hmm. or something like that. I think, you know, trying to walk this world alone uh, is not advisable. I think that we're hardwired to have, um, human connection and, and I'm really grateful that during COVID, um, people were able to adapt so quickly and get a lot of support online. Um, but it's, and whether or not you find that a support group, whether that be AA, you know, some type of 12 step or whatever that may be, uh-huh. um, or, or if it's just fellowship with, with others, it's important, I think, to it's not only accountability, there's also, you know, empathy that, that you can have for others, that others can have for you. Yes. Um, and then there's that level of support. And I think especially when we have people that are in the recovery community as well, it's good for, for people that are in our lives. Like, you know, my parents know where I'm at mm-hmm. in the sense that, um, you know, they know that I'm in recovery. They know that I'm not, you know, I don't drink. They know, I mean, all this kind of stuff. But they're not able to empathize on a certain level. And so I think we as humans need to have that kind of connection with somebody. And it's, it's really critical to, um, to our success, right? We So you don't have to have all one or all the other. I think mm-hmm. it's a blend of both. Absolutely. Um, but it's very important to have stuff, even if it's just a person that you connect with and you hear their stories, um, you know, pop into the AA from time to time and just hear where people are at. It, it helps. It helps as a reminder. It helps as strength. It helps, um, you know, again, that accountability. There's so many incredible benefits from, from fellowship. And so thank you for bringing that up because I, I, that is such a huge thing and just really being honest with all the people in your life mm-hmm. uh, about where you're at. I, I talk about that a lot in communication as we, as we set up uh, in, in step three, 
as we start to put structure in our lives and it's learning to accept help from others and learning to tell people where we're at mm-hmm. um, because we we don't need to do this this life by ourselves and that was another place where I severely hit the mark was I thought no I got this I got this and I was very stubborn about me always doing it and I mentioned on my aha moment I said okay you know, higher power, I'm done. Like, <laughs> you, you take the wheel now. Like, I can't do this. So mm-hmm. there's just a whole community between higher power and the recovery community and even the regular norming community that that we need to be, you know, honest with and, and plugged into um, and, and have fellowship. Hmm. All right. Awesome. All right, Jen. Well, you are officially off the hot seat. So we would like to thank you for coming and joining us this evening. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, Jen, where can our listeners find you? Well, like I said, the great thing about having a last name like Sugarmeyer is I am the only one. Um, <laughs> so JenSugarmeyer.com and Sugar with an E. So as long as you spell Sugar with an E, you will find me, JenSugarmeyer.com. And that houses my podcast, uh, Level Up to 2.0. Um, nice. I've got my online coaching program that's out there. I've got uh, my one-on-one coaching, my books, everything is out there. So you can also find me on social media, but it is the one, the only Jen Schickelmeyer. Fantastic. All right. Here at Podcast Recovery, we are aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts. Accessibility and convenience of helpful services is paramount to combating addiction. We work to bring the message of recovery to every addict, wherever and whenever it is needed. We believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable, practical, and at the touch of a button. Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide it. Why don't you tell uh, people how they can join our home group, Eric? That wasn't bad. It was okay. I, 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 there was one you did like the other day. I know oh, it was so, much so good, and I can't remember what I said. Well, uh, here at Podcast Recovery, we need your help to help keep the mics on. Mm-hmm. So please join our home group through our Patreon page uh, in the description below, or throw some money in the digital basket um, through our PayPal account. You can also like, subscribe, follow, share, comment, review, and do any other social media interaction that i can't quite think of right now Mm -hmm. on youtube twitter facebook instagram or wherever you can find podcast recovery Mm -hmm. absolutely everybody like share subscribe send your friends our way send yourself our our way and we'll get your message out to the world but uh uh and for more information about eric carly alley and myself go to podcastrecovery.com for all your recovery needs and most importantly everybody out there stay safe and stay clean